Stress plus rest equals growth. Go get them today, folks. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me as always on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. We are doing another of the season recap podcasts today. Today we're going to be looking at the Atlanta Hawks, the team that recently received the number three pick in the NBA draft for 2018 and I am joined by one of my Basketball Monster brethren to speak about the Atlanta Hawks season past and that is of course Kyle McEwen. Kyle welcome back to the show. Josh thanks for having me on. It's good to have you back on Kyle we're gonna we're gonna chop it up we're gonna talk some uh talk some Atlanta Hawks there's a there's a fair bit of interesting stuff here with this team for us to talk about but we'll start with the fact that they've got a new coach the most handsome man in the NBA Lloyd Pierce. Um, what, uh, what, what do you know about uh, Mr. Pierce here? I don't know a ton about him, but uh, before the show, I got, you know, read a few Q&As and all that kind of stuff. He was working with the Philadelphia 76ers as an assistant coach for the last five years, and I think that's the most telling thing. He was, uh, everything I read said that he was pretty much in charge of their defense. So if you want to look to some of the success that the Sixers had on the defensive end through the growth of the process, maybe you look towards Lloyd Pierce and you give him that credit. Um, but I think it kind of speaks to for for the Hawks and his position as the coach for the Hawks. It, it feels like uh, Travis Schlenk, the GM of the Hawks, is almost trying to go 2.0 as far as the the, the process 2.0 with with these Hawks. Yeah, that's that's the way it seems. Obviously, getting the Sixers guy in, he's he's very well respected and he's you know, got a good reputation in player development, which of course this uh this Hawks team is going to need with the young players on the roster plus four draft picks in the top 34 coming up in June for the draft. The other thing that uh, has happened in the last few days regarding the Hawks is that uh, apparently Dennis Schroeder has, uh, I guess, formally, informally submitted a some sort of trade request through some sort of German language um, outlet. It said that he'd spoken to the Hawks about his desire to play for a winning team and mentioned specifically Indiana and Milwaukee. Um what, what do we think about this guy? Like, that is Schroeder good enough to be requesting a trade? What, where, what leverage does he have, if any? Is this something that could come to pass? Uh, the one question, or the first question I wrote about Schroeder when getting up notes for this podcast was, how good is he really? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, because of that trade request, and it's not even necessarily, it wasn't really a trade request. It was just Schroeder saying, hey, look, I've been on good teams with the Hawks before. We were terrible last year. I don't want to continue to be terrible, and if we're going to go through some kind of process, at least this is what I gleaned from the very little reporting that I saw on it, is essentially Schroeder's just saying, hey, look, I don't want to go through a bunch of seasons of the process with you guys, so if, if that's what your end game is right now, and you don't think I'm going to be a part of it, get me the heck out of here. I think if he ended up on on the paces, you know, not much would change in terms of what he was able to do. Uh, obviously, a little bit of usage drop because he had a pretty large usage this season, but he'd still been able to be effective on a, on a Hawks team that did have uh, Paul Millsap on it the year before, and with Al Horford, he was still able to put up you know, decent numbers. So it's not going to be it wouldn't be a complete dent in his value. The Milwaukee one might be different, obviously with Eric Bledsoe around, but perhaps you could have a dual backcourts there. But there's so many different possibilities if he, in fact, even gets moved. Now I did reference it earlier, Kyle. They do have the third pick in the draft. They also have pick 19 
as a part of the Adrian Payne trade. They have pick 30 and they have pick 33 as well. So four picks in the top 34. You can get four really solid players in that group. And I would expect, you know, two to three of those guys to have immediate impacts in some degree next season. We'll see exactly what route they go, whether they package those moves, but it's a, it's a good base. And as you, you referenced, you know, like a process south version, that's, that's a good start to get these picks in and get players and see what they can, what they can actually do. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be, you know, they fell to the, the number three pick in the lottery or that's where they ended up at. And it's, I mean, they have no chance at Luka Doncic, but no. there, is there an outside chance DeAndre Ayton could drop to them at three, do you think? I, I think if, if I was being the GM for the teams above, then I think there would be that chance. But I find it, uh, hard to believe that, that Aiden won't go in the top two, but that still leaves them with a, a great selection of players. Uh, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Triple J there. You've got, uh, Mo Bamba in play, Marvin Bagley, who I'm not as interested in for, for the Hawks. There are plenty of different options that they can go for. I think that's probably to me the, the clear top five uh, players with, with Doncic and Aiden and they've got, yeah, a selection of some really interesting big men that they compare alongside the Baptist John Collins. Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, there's some interesting players on the Hawks that they're bringing back or some interesting prospects that they can take a look at next season if they don't get any big names to slot into any of the holes they have on their team. But in many regards, you almost look at the Hawks as uh, a bunch of empty shelves. Like they could they could go any direction they want. They really should be looking at best player available as far as, as what hole they need to fill because essentially they need to fill every single hole right now in, in my perspective. Giggity. Pretty much every team at the top of the draft <laughs> needs to be, uh, needs to be looking at best player available. We can look at, if you go, just go back and look at any team's roster from 2013. So we're talking five years ago and you will not recognize that team compared to what the current team looks like in general. You might have three guys there. You might have four guys there. You might have one guy there. Teams change over so quickly. So by the end of someone's rookie contract, the team that they're on is completely different to the team that they currently are getting drafted to. So, you know, looking at drafting for fit and all this sort of stuff in two years time in three look the Celtics turned over like nine blokes this season like in two years time everyone's different yeah the whole team has changed pretty much apart from a few core guys and that's what you're trying to find you're trying to find those core guys so you know, drafting for specific fits when in you know, by the time this person's in not even starting their prime by the time they're 21 or 22 the entire roster is going to be different in uh, in all likelihood yeah, I mean, that's fair, but at the same respect, you don't want to draw, draft a John Collins 2.0, you know, two no. years in a row. No, so. that, 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 that is fair enough. But look, with, especially with the way the NBA is going now with so much positional versatility and, and playing guy, you know, not like you're a five, you're a four. It's like, are you a big man? Can you shoot? Can you handle? You know, let's, let's move these guys around. Like Collins can play the four. Collins can play the five. These guys, yeah, Bagley can play the five in certain situations. DeAndre Ayton, for whatever reason, played the four in college the majority of the time, even though that's clearly not where he should be playing. But there are ways to move these guys uh, around. Now, you talked about players on this team, uh, you know, coming back. They've got a, f- a few interesting free agency things happening, but more in the player option realm with Mike Muscala having a $5 million player option and the undertaker Dwayne Dedman having a $6.3 million player option. Do you expect, uh, or which of those guys do you expect to actually pick up that option and come back to Atlanta or who do you expect to go back onto the free agency market? There's a big part of me that thinks Deadman should go into the free agency market and maybe the same for Muscala, probably not, definitely not as much, but you would think that there would be a lot of teams out there looking at what Deadman did last season, the fact that he added a three-point shot to his game and saying, oh, crap, 
this guy is more, you know, he's he's somebody who we should definitely be targeting in free agency. So I would hope that Deadman's agent, or which does he even have one, or is he doing it all himself? He should be he that. should be able to get some money out there, and, yeah. and so I would expect Deadman to opt out. But you just never know with, with some of these players. I would uh, I would expect the same. Like he, he said, he's due six point three million dollars next season. Like if he came back or went to another team for a three year fifteen million dollar uh, deal, that's not. It's obviously not annual value the same, but it's still an extra nine million dollars guaranteed money. And I think that a guy that is is not necessarily young, but he's not he's clearly not old. But he is how old is he? He's actually he's twenty eight, so he's going to be twenty nine next season. Like getting those you know, three years of guaranteed money could be more important for someone like Dwayne Dedman. So I, I do expect that. I expect Muscala to opt in and Dedman's an opportunity to opt out. The other guys they've got free agency wise, there's Malcolm Delaney and Damian Lee who came across late in the season. Uh, uh, they're both restricted free agents. Then you've got uh, Josh Majette and Andrew White as their two-way players who will also be restricted free agents. Antonius Cleveland, Jalen Morris, and Isaiah, Isaiah Taylor also have non-guaranteed contracts, but the only one there I think who really showed anything was Isaiah Taylor. But clearly, none of those guys, Delaney, Majette, White, Lee, Morris, Taylor, Cleveland, none of them should be considered uh, key pieces to this team. We saw flashes from a few of them, Taylor and Lee specifically. Um, but yeah, they're not going to be any, they're not going to be handicapping any decisions that they make by trying to retain those players. So, you know, the, the major core of what they've got young guys wise is, uh, is locked in and then they can add those draft picks in there. They finished the season 24 and 58, which was three below their expected win loss record. They were 10th in pace. So they played up tempo. With this team took a lot of threes, but really struggled turning or holding onto the ball or taking control of the ball with their turnover percentage. Second last in the league in turnover percentage. Uh, got yeah, lots of steals against them, lots of blocks uh, against them. I want to go through a few other individual things here, Cobb, before we talk about these players specifically. Who do you think would have had the highest offensive rating on this team? Um, John Collins? Correct. Yep. What about best defensive rating? Dwayne Dedman? Correct. Well done. And I, 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 I gave you no prep for this. I, I appreciate you being able to guess those correctly. Yeah. Collins was obviously really efficient offensively. He was actually really good defensively as well. I think he was third on the team in defensive rating, uh, along with Baysmore and The Undertaker there. Whereas some guys really struggled with their offensive rating. DeAndre Bembry had an 83. That's horrible. Uh, Torian Prince, the artist formerly known as, he had an offensive rating of 100, which was pretty poor as well. And John Collins was basically the leader in almost every single advanced stat for this team. PR, true shooting, win shares. Winchairs per 48, defensive box score plus minus, box score plus minus, and Vorp. All those stats, John Collins was the leader on this team. Schroeder was their most effective offensive player and had the highest highest usage on this team. But let's get into some of these guys in a little bit of extra detail. We'll start with Collins. I spoke about him at length in, I don't even know which part, part uh, five of the 2017 NBA draft recap series that I was doing. So Kyle, I'll let you take the floor on what we saw from John Collins in his uh, 24 minutes per game and uh, a 10 and 7 average. I think the, you know, I don't think that we were necessarily surprised by a lot of what John Collins did as a rookie, but it was just great confirmation that he's on the path that I think you definitely saw him on uh, coming into the NBA. And that's that he was going to be remarkably efficient. He was going to rebound at a good rate. Um, and we weren't really sure exactly how much he was going to assert himself as a shooter in the NBA. And and, and those are all things that we kind of saw come to fruition at, throughout his rookie season. Uh, he did shoot 34% from three-point land, but he was only taking 
0.6 attempts per game. So there wasn't a, you know, a wealth of, of, uh, I guess we don't have a lot of data in that to see exactly how much that's going to stretch out, but you like what you've seen so far. I mean, as far as projecting someone who's not really known as a shooter and then saying he's going to shoot, he shot 34% from three point as a rookie. I feel pretty good about that. So overall, I don't know how much more I have to say about his, what he did as a rookie, um, but I think we're definitely encouraged by what he did, and also it kind of reaffirms what we thought about him. Yeah, exactly. It was what we thought coming in. He did it. He added a few extra things, which were projectable with his good free throw shooting uh, ability, you know, hitting some threes, stretching out, enabling him to play at the four and at the five, and we saw him play way more at the four in the second half of the season as opposed to early in the year where he was predominantly or exclusively playing as a center. So being able to do those things and being a top 100 player in only 24 minutes, in large part because of that uh, efficiency and his ability to block shots, that gives you hope that if he does push to 30 minutes, which that should be the aim for him next season, then he's going to be a comfortable top 100, top 70, perhaps even higher sort of a guy. And if he came in averaging 14 and 9 with 1.5 blocks and got you to half a three, and had that elite efficiency, I don't think anybody would be surprised by those numbers. They're not outrageous projections to have a look at him you know, in the next season or two. You know, I think if there's one thing that stood out in, in rewatching his highlights is just how good he is working under, you know, below the rim and getting his job done there. He's got springs. He can jump. He can he can dunk the ball, but there he does so much work around the rim and he's crafty down there. And even without getting post up opportunities, just Coming off of the pick and roll and rolling to the basket, he does a great job, has good hands, and he's able to finish even when having long, big defenders around him. So that's it's good to see. It's it's I mean, shot fifty seven, you know, arguably fifty eight percent from the field this year. So um, hard to hard to kind of knock the kid for for the job he did so far. Which way do we want to go now? We, well, let's go Schroeder, who had to take on a much larger role this season, obviously with Paul Millsap gone. He saw his usage spike to over 30%, and the counting stats look fine. 19 and a half, three rebounds, six assists, over a three, barely over a steal. 44% is not completely inefficient from the field. 85 from the line is fantastic, but of course the 29% from three is not a number that you like in his overall true shooting, under 52%. But as we talked about, like the numbers are fine, but is he is he good? Like where do we go from here? He was the 64th ranked player this season, and that's because of that increased usage, his inability to get high steal numbers, uh, the inefficiency issues, and then when surrounded by better players, there is this concern that he will be really detrimental to what they can do, and that might lead to his role being minimized. So, have we seen the peak of Dennis Schroeder? Do you think? You know, I love his. His attitude from the aspect that he is a obviously a very competitive person, but there seems to be a little bit of a a delusion, a self-delusion for him in regard to how good he actually is and, and where his demands should stand. Um, I just don't know that we've seen enough production from Schroeder to feel like his, his play has backed up his mouth. So knowing his limitations on defense... The fact that he's limited by his size at six one, yes, he's got um, decent reach, but there, there's just questions about whether or not he's going to be good enough as a shooter in today's NBA to really be an effective point guard to the point that he's somebody you want being your your lead your lead guard on a team. So um, knowing that Travis Schlenk did not draft Dennis Schroeder, did not 
signed Dennis Schroeder to the extension. I don't believe that was still done when Bud was there, right? Yep. It's it's hard to see to feel confident that Schroeder's the guy going forward. Um, but also, it's hard to see where he would fit on a lot of other teams in the NBA if a trade was to be made, um, making, I believe, 15.5 or $15 million a year. So that's a tradable contract in today's NBA, but it's also not so um, thrifty that it's going to be necessarily easy to move unless a team legitimately looks at Schroeder and says, you know what, we want him, he's going to be our point guard, bring him in, and we like his attitude, which I just don't know if there's going to be a lot of teams that feel that way about him. Yeah, that's similar to how I feel. Like he, he's still only 24. It doesn't turn 25 for a few more months. So it's not like he's completely finished with his development, but the trajectory that he's going on, like you just feel like, well, he's continually going to make poor decisions and have issues shooting the three and have turnover problems and have these attitude problems. Like, and in defensive deficiencies, like where does it all start to improve for him? And you just don't really see a trajectory for him becoming a, a considerably better player. And that's going to make you think as this team gets better, if he remains on it, then perhaps his role starts diminishing or he is uh, he is shipped off to a- another team. And he seems like one of those guys who's going to thrive more on a poor team than on a good team. But another player who did step up this season was the artist formerly known as Torian Prince. He had uh, it's his second season, moved into a full-time starters role this year. Started off okay, had, had a bit of a slump, but finished the season really, really strong and ended up as the 75th ranked player overall, which, which ended up being a pretty significant steal considering where he was able to be drafted. Averaged 14 points with two triples, almost five rebounds, two and a half assists, which I guess is a little bit surprising with his assist numbers. A steal a game and wasn't overly efficient. 43 from the field, 84 from the line and 39 from the three, but that was really propped up by a Good couple of months at the start of the season of shooting over 40%. So it was a bit of a roller coaster type situation for Torian Prince this season, but it feels like, and again, picking at three, there's no one, no real wing they're going to be selecting at that spot. He's going to be locked in as a starter for next season and hopefully take another step forward. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things to like about Torian Prince just because of the kind of player that he is in today's NBA. You, he fits. He's a big wing who can uh, play multiple positions. If you really wanted to, you could play him as your shooting guard. You can. He's obviously a small forward. He can play that small ball power forward. Um, the biggest question or the biggest enigma from Torian Prince this year was the fact that he had that huge slump in January oh and February. God. I mean, yeah. this was almost a two-month slump. Now, it looks a little bit exacerbated when you're looking at the split stats and you're, you're saying, oh, two months, January and February, although February is a shortened month because of the all-star break. So so maybe it was just, you know, a five or five or six week slump. But Torian Prince was shooting under 40%, under 38% or under for both of those months from the field. He was shooting 30% from three point for both of those months. And yet he still shot 30, what was it, 38 or 39% from three this year. So I'm very encouraged by the fact that he shot the 39% from three despite having those two terrible months because he did actually shoot over 40% for one, two, three, four, four of the months this season. So there's, I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. You love the fact that he can put the ball on the floor to get to the rim um, and score in that way as well as being able to shoot from the outside. He does shoot a good percentage from the free throw line. And just the fact that he has the size that you want out there on the wing in today's NBA, maybe Lloyd Pierce turns him even more into a Robert Cummington type yep. player. However, I think that's a little bit of a, a tough ask because look, players are what they are, and Covington has his has his uh, 
his strengths and, and what he kind of focuses on out there on the court. And Torian Prince is just a little bit of a different player or less of a defensive player. Prince had these weird stretches. Like at the end of the season here, his last four games, he had four assists, five assists, five assists, and six assists, which is not something I thought he'd ever be able to do. Now, of course, Dennis Schroeder was out in those games, but he did that while scoring 20 points in each of those games and hit a combined 17 triples in those four games as well. Got steals in all of them, had these all these weird stretches. Another stretch here in uh, in late March, 20, 28, and 21 points for a combined 11 three-pointers with five steals in those three games. A run at the start of March of 38, 25, 22, and 38 points, which included big rebounding and big assist numbers. He really turned it on in the second half of the season, um, had a lot more offensive responsibility going his way and responded. And that's something that, you know, some guys will play well in limited roles, but when they're forced into larger ones, it doesn't necessarily work. But for him, it seemed to be the opposite. Give him the ball more, let him do everything, and it actually worked out in a real positive manner. So I would expect him to take some sort of a step forward again, because we're talking about the two months in the middle of this season where he was atrocious, you know, scoring one, two, four points per game, which were, you know, absolutely horrible stretch. Eliminate those and make those average, meld them in with the big months. And you're talking about a guy who should be knocking on the door of the top 50. Um, Kent Bazemore. Um, I'm not a big Kent Bazemore fan. He still only managed 28 minutes per game on a team that was devoid of talent that had DeAndre Bembry out for massive chunks of the season. But Bazemore did... Yeah, he played pretty well. He was one of their better players. He was a solid fantasy contributor, averaging 13, 4, and three and a half. One and a half steals really helped his value. The 0.7 steals did too. And shot an encouraging 39% from three. But he's almost 29 years of age now, Kyle. He's clearly not going to be uh, a part of the next good Hawks team. Do you think that his contract, while it looked noxious when it was signed, is it becoming tradable now? And do you think that's something they should be looking to do? I mean, it's. I don't think that Bazemore's contract is necessarily tradable. He's still got two more years on it. Um, first one's guaranteed. The second one's a player option, which you don't think he'd be opting out of. I believe it's $18 million. Uh, that's, you know, that's the Alan Crabb deal that the Trailblazers had to attach um, picks to to get rid of to Brooklyn, didn't they? So that that's kind of the way I look at the situation it, when I look at Bazemore. As I say, he's another Alan Crabb that he might be able to find a role on a team that, that sees some value in him, but that's still a lot of money to be putting onto your books for somebody who's really just a, what, fifth option at best on a playoff team maybe? Yeah, look, his defense was impressive this season, one of the better defenders on this team and one of the only real uh, starter player or level players that was able to produce a positive on-off rating for the season. Him and uh, him and Deadman were those two guys, whereas guys like Collins and Prince and, uh, and Schroeder all were negative in that sense. So he was able to do stuff defensively, but offensively he is fairly limited. He could have another season where he is a fantasy-relevant player, but you feel like after that it is going to start to drop off in a uh, in a significant manner as he starts to get older. Other players come in and uh, yeah, he's, uh, again, if he couldn't push to a 30-minute role, on this team last season that was as poor as they were, you feel like it is it is going to be hard for him to you know, do that in the in the future. He is uh, dealing with a a leg bone bruise that kept him out at the end of the season. I don't imagine there's too much uh, that's going to be impacting him as we uh, as we move forward. Though 
You talked about uh, Deadman earlier, Kyle, adding the three-point shot to his game. 25 minutes a game this year, hit 0.8 triples after hitting basically none throughout his entire career. Shot 36% from deep and averaged 10 and 8. A lot of people were disappointed with what Deadman did this season. I don't really think I was. He was a top 100 player, did what he needed to do, and brought it efficiency-wise. And that's something we talk about rotisserie leagues. Getting a big man who's 52 and 78 from the field and the line, that's a really massive thing to have in a roto league, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. He's the being able to get a big man late in your draft who can not 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 just not hurt you in the percentages, but help you is is huge in Roto. Yeah, so and he added that, and you know, point eight blocks is not fantastic for a big man, but it's okay. It's it's a positive. Steals eight rebounds, ten points. He'd almost a three a game. Just contributed right across the board. And while he wasn't spectacular. Uh, he was solid. I thought he was having you know, really strong games until he had that uh, leg uh, break in his leg, and then inexplicably, when he came back, couldn't get the roll back off Miles Plumley, which was nonsense from uh, from Boone. And I know they're trying to lose; they were losing anyway when Deadman was playing. It just made no sense to be playing someone like Plumley out there, especially when you want to say, "Hey, you know what? Deadman might be back next season. He might be a part of this. Let's see how it works with Collins." There was a lot of nonsense going on with Budenholzer. In that degree, but yeah, Deadman, we talked about him already in terms of the player option and what his future might hold. He could have another one of these seasons, depending on where he goes to uh, next year. He only played 25 minutes per game, and if he was pushing up to 28 or 29 minutes, then yeah, he's a comfortable top 70 sort of a player who could be a, a 12 and 9 with a 3 with a block and those really good percentages, which are obviously a, uh, a an impressive part of uh, of what he's able to do for a fantasy perspective. Now, one guy, Kyle, that I'm interested in looking at is DeAndre Bembry. We didn't see much of him this season. 26 games only as he dealt with wrist and abdominal issues. Came back towards the end of the year, played only 18 minutes, five points, three rebounds, two assists. But in in 18 minutes per game, those numbers are pretty good for a guy who's a wing. Throw in 0.8 steals and half a block, and you've got the, the basis of a guy who could be a contributor. He also was, weirdly to me, able to shoot 37% from three after, I think, shooting... 4% from three the year before and hitting one three-pointer in his entirety of his rookie season. So it was an interrupted season from Bembry, but did you have, were you encouraged at all? Do you think that he's a chance to potentially you know, leapfrog a guy like Bazemore that we talked about and become a secondary wing creator or at least find himself in a larger role than he was this year? Um, I think it's a, it's not something I'm going to hold my breath on just because he's part of the old guard or is from the, the yeah. old regime. Uh, in regards to being drafted by Buttonholzer, not by Travis Schlank. So you really don't know how much they're they're going to care to invest in Bembry unless they legitimately look at him and say, you know what, at 6'5", he's, he provides good, or 6'6", he provides good size at that backup point guard position as a an extra ball handler at shooting guard, if, if that's the way you're going to use him. As somebody who you, if you want to, you can slide him up to that small forward position because he has enough size to do that against a lot of small forwards. Um, the versatility for DeAndre Bembry is interesting. It's, it's, um, you're right. Is he, is, is the 37% from three on 1.2 attempts per game in 18 minutes? Is that real? Is he actually getting better at shooting, um, shooting those deep balls? And I don't know if that's true because he still only shot 58% from the, at the free throw line. It's, he's an interesting player as we've kind of touched on over the last couple of years. But again, it's, it's, we just haven't had enough. We haven't seen enough from him. He hasn't been on the court enough. He didn't get enough opportunity his first year, and he was too injured last year. 
only uh, only 455 minutes this season. But interestingly, he had a higher block rate than Mike Muscala. Actually, second highest or third highest block rate on the team behind Plumley and uh, also fourth between Collins, Deadman, and Plumley. He was fourth highest in block rate ahead of a, a big man like Mike Muscala. So he was able to get up and block those shots, and that was part of the appeal for him coming into the league is his defensive ability and his ability to handle the ball and and run the point at times. And we saw uh, yeah, obviously different coach, but we saw them running different stuff this season with Tyler Dorsey running at point guard and running non-point guard lineups out there. And he's a guy that can be a part of that if that's something that uh, Lloyd Pierce wants to go ahead and do. Um, they had a bunch of other guys on this team who really weren't all that interesting. I don't think we need to talk too much about Miles Plumley. We, he is who he is pretty much. He's a guy that if for some reason he's getting minutes, he'll block a shot or two. And that's, that's probably about it. But I think someone who showed enough for us to at least talk about here is Damian Lee, who only played 15 games, but played a lot of minutes, 27 minutes in that time and averaged 11 points. Um, and was able to take on a, a decent sized role and, and played fairly well in that time. But, how much of it is the fact that this team was just blatantly tanking down the stretch that Lee was able to do that? Or do you think that he is a legitimate NBA rotational player? I think he has the athleticism, the the talent. I don't know if his consistency is going to be to be where it needs to be to be a rota- rotation piece in the NBA um, on a good team or on a team that's, well... In the NBA, so it's there's there's a little bit of a I have hope for Damian Lee, and I think that he's an interesting guy to keep track of to see if they do bring him back to see if another team maybe does offer him a a decent enough contract in restricted free agency that they are able to draw him away from the Hawks. But there's you, you look through his G League stats and back through college and everything, and you see. The potential, but you also see a lack of consistency, as I detailed in, in, in the start. So it's it's really just waiting to see how he develops and if he can kind of measure his gusto or his confidence that you see out on the court with actually being consistently productive. The other, there's probably one other guy on this roster. I think he's. We spoke a little bit about Muscala earlier. He played tw- at uh, 20 minutes per game. He had a, over a three a game, half a block. He was okay at times. He dealt with a significant ankle injury for the season. Played 53 games, and he's a guy that, again, they're probably in line to draft a big man. Deadman could be returning. There's John Collins there, so he appears like he'll get lost in the shuffle and probably not ever going to be too much better than what we've currently seen. But a guy that did show some flashes, especially late in the season, was their second round draft choice out of Oregon, Tyler Dorsey, who put up some okay performances towards the end of the season. In fact, over his last, I'm going to count these up here, over his last 11 games, I think it was, uh, he scored in double digits nine times out of those last 11 games. So did you were you encouraged at all by what Dorsey was able to do? Was there anything that you looked at and went, yeah, I can see him you know, at some point becoming a starter? Because I'm not sure I really see that with him, but I spoke about him on one of the draft podcasts not long ago. So just interested in your thoughts on, uh, on Tyler Dorsey. No, I think Dorsey will be one of the forgotten guys in the process. Um, they, the, the Hawks schlanked drafted Dorsey with the, in the, in the second round last year and came out in the summer talking about the fact that Dorsey should be able to play some point guard or play some shooting guard. He'll be a scorer for them. I think they look at the fact that Dorsey takes those crazy three point shots from deep and they see a little bit of the, the Steph Curry recklessness, but there's none of the efficiency that comes with Steph Curry. 
Yeah. Um, and I hate that I even mention these two in the same sentence together because it's such an injustice to Curry. But you you, you attach some of this correlation between Golden State and the Hawks because Schlank was working in the Golden State front office during the, them building up their team. Um, so so that's why there's that connection there. And you you you, you look at what Golden State did and you say, okay, Schlank's going to try and emulate that in a lot of regard. Uh, as he builds this team, Tyler Dorsey, he wasn't efficient. What do you shoot? 37% from the field last yeah. year. I just don't see it. Um, I think he's six, five and I, he is more of a shooting guard than he is a point guard. Absolutely. And I don't think that he does things at a, a, an efficient or elite enough or consistent enough level that we're actually going to, it's going to warrant talking about him too much. Now it's totally possible that if Schroeder's out of there and, you know, Isaiah Taylor doesn't pan out for them or they, they don't like the way DeAndre Bembry's developed and they don't want to look at him as a point guard because I do think that you might see some of these non-traditional point guards in a Lloyd Pierce system because he just came out of somewhere that had Ben Simmons and that's not to say that Ben Simmons is a non-traditional point guard, but he's non-traditional in his size. Um, so you might, you might see Lloyd Pierce want to take advantage of putting a, a bigger body at that point guard position like a DeAndre Bembry. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I, I just, I spent like two minutes rambling about Tyler Dorsey trying to get to a positive point about him and I just don't have any. The thing I would say is that is this team's backup point guard position, let alone the starting point guard position is in flux. Malcolm Delaney's a restricted free agent. I think that probably all, all indications to me at this point feel like he will go back to Europe as he played a lot of his time in Europe. Maybe he'll go back there. I'm not sure he's going to receive a huge offer. He wasn't necessarily fantastic here. As I said, Isaiah Taylor has a non-guaranteed deal. They'll probably bring him back. But if you have Delaney gone, then there is an opportunity for Dorsey to play some of those backup uh, one and uh, and two minutes, which at least could see him in a role similar to what he played this year where he saw 17 minutes per game. But I'm with you. I don't really see him as becoming a, a star-level player or even probably a starter-level player. And his fantasy profile isn't something to get overly excited about at this point. The other guys that we saw in this team at Taylor and Delaney talked about them a bit already. Josh Majed and Andrew White, the two two-way guys, nothing that really stood out to me with either of them. Jalen Morris, Antonius Cleveland played some minutes. They were just cycling through wing guys to try and see if anyone really caught on. And I didn't really see anything from any of those guys that made me think, yeah, they could be potential contributors. No, you know, it's just it's going to be interesting to see because they signed so many of these guys to uh, multi-year non-guaranteed contracts. Essentially, it'll be interesting to see who they bring back next season and who's a part of this team going into the going into uh, the preseason, because if we could, you know, we could get surprised by a Dorsey or Taylor or Bembry being the starting point guard. We could be surprised by uh, Plumley being the starting center next year simply if they don't have Muscala or Deadman on the team and they don't draft a starting center. So we'll see. And even if they do draft somebody who they envision to be their starting center of the future, it might be somebody who needs to develop a little bit. And they say, you know what, we're just going to start Plumlee to give this guy a hurdle to jump over so that he has more incentive as a rookie to actually get in the, get in the gym and get his work in. They've also you know, got they've got pick nineteen in the draft, and there might be point guards available there. They're looking at to get 
into that uh, into that spot. There's uh, Landry Shamet who could be in that zone. You could be looking at um, uh, DeAndre Melton around that area. Maybe uh, Shy Gilgis Alexander slides. Although I highly doubt that. There are other guys in that zone who could be could be options for them. Do they look at you know, Trayvon Duval with one of the later picks? Jalen Brunson could be available. So there are other guys they could bring in. I just think that that backup point guard position is clearly in flux for this team. And those backup wing positions where no one really sort of um, you know, took hold or was able to fully grasp that position and, and run with it. But you know, Dorsey's that guy who at least had some uh, value without him being a, a spectacular option. Um, Delaney, go ahead. I don't think Delaney. I didn't. I didn't. I don't think I said this early, but I don't think Delaney will be back simply no, because either. he's part of the old regime. He's 29 years old, and they there was issues with him melding well with Buttonholzer, who was the guy who brought him back over from from international ball. So the idea that Delaney would be resigned, I just don't really see it happening. Delaney's also probably the, the number one Twitter follow on this, for this team. So that's, that's something that's in his favor. He's, he's a good follow on Twitter, but it, it, even from reading his Twitter, it does seem like he's still very invested in the European game. Obviously he spent so much time there and I can really see him going back and playing back in Russia uh, again or, or for another team throughout Europe. I, I just don't see him back in the NBA for this coming season as a restricted free agent. He's not going to get a big offer sheet. I don't think the Hawks will be prioritizing him and I don't even think they'll necessarily extend a qualifying offer there. So I don't really expect him to be back for next season. I don't really think there's much else for us to touch on here with the Hawks. They're not going to be massive players in free agency. I wouldn't expect get some maybe role guys, but they're not going to be you know, looking to make big splashes because Travis Schlenk is clearly in this for the long haul rebuild. And um, yeah, they'll just be building on these young guys. But four guys coming in in the top 34 picks, two of them at least I think will be solid contributors, probably at, at least one of them a starter, maybe two of them. We're going to have a really interesting mix with this team. I expect... Um, I expect quite a few things to change from this season to next season for the Hawks. Have you seen anything about Alpha Kaba and whether or not he's going to be coming over? I haven't seen whether he's going to be coming over. I spoke about him a couple of days ago on the podcast about how he was still able to produce some pretty good defensive stats over over in Europe this this season, but I haven't heard that he's coming over. There are other guy that they stashed a couple of years ago, Isaiah Cordinier. Uh, didn't play at all this season. He had a knee issue, and I don't think we'll probably ever see him, and he'll never be a, an NBA-quality player. But Carver is an interesting guy. I think that he's, um, apart from having a, an excellent name, I think that he is a guy that can provide some defensive presence and uh, and be able to grab rebounds. But I, I was talking, as I said, I was talking about him on, in the pod a couple of days ago. He didn't take a single three-point attempt this season, whereas in his previous years, he was stretching out when he was playing for, for Megalex. But they uh, they sort of stopped that in, in his new team in France, which was, I thought was a weird change. That is really weird. Um, projected starting five for the Hawks. I mean, obviously a lot's going to change over the summer, but if you had one right now, um, I think yeah, we, let's let's lock Schroeder in, let's lock Prince in, let's lock Collins in. They're the they're the, the three I think we're locking in. Um, depending on what they do with that draft, I would say drafted big man. I, I think that they would look to start him. Um, this is all dependent on if Deadman comes back. If Deadman comes back, it, it'll probably be him there. And then I wouldn't be stunned to see them go with a uh, with Bembry over Bazemore, but uh, I, I'd probably put Bazemore in as the starter. If they don't draft a center, they should re-sign Deadman. It's essentially what I think should happen. Yeah, but or would you rather, or would you rather them just start Collins? Um, I'd rather them start them both together because who who would they play at the four in that in that situation? It looks say right. I, I don't know I don't know who that would take at three that's not going to be a big man unless Doncic inexplicably falls to them. And then of course they grab him no way yeah, immediately. There, there there is no way that's happening. But 
that would be yeah. If that's happened, that's that's an option. But there's no one else. You're not taking Bridges. You're not taking Trey Young at uh, at pick three. So it's going to be Bumba, Bagley, Jackson, Aiton. It's going to be a big man that's in that spot there, and that that might actually yeah, that. The draft decision might actually force Deadman's hand to say, you know what, I'm not picking up this player option. They've obviously brought someone in to replace me. Let's see if I can go find a longer term deal somewhere else. Yeah, if well, I mean, you know, you could always be money. Money will trump everything. So if if they draft Aiton and they're like, yeah, this guy's definitely starting for us at center, it might be a situation well where well then. Maybe John Collins' starting job is in question on opening night, and they start eight in that power forward next to Deadman, or they, you know, vice versa. So it'll be interesting to see how that all pans out. But um, yeah, I think you were right. There's not really much else to say about this team. All right, Kyle, where can everyone find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at RotoKyleNBA. Go and uh, follow him there and follow me at RedRock underscore Beeble. And, of course, go and leave a review for this podcast. If you did enjoy it, five stars would be great. And you can find us on Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and on YouTube. And if it's on YouTube, go subscribe and click the thumbs up button. And you can leave a comment below as well. Kyle, thanks for jumping on. Thanks for talking Atlanta Hawks. Uh, it's going to be... um wild over the next couple of months as the uh, playoffs finish up and the, the off-season kicks off and it's going to be a wild off-season. All right. Um, when we're recording this, should I should I, should I I even like hint at that at all? Because I, I did no, you, actually want to... You can okay. hint at it. It's not, it's not coming out um, for a few days, but yeah, you can you can hint at it. Okay, so what? we've this We're having game two of the uh, Warriors-Rockets tonight yep. um, when we're recording this. Yep. Um, I think it's awesome that the Celtics have taken the first two games from Cleveland. And, you know, Jeff, uh, Jeff Van Gunny came out in the, uh, pregame for that series in the, the game one. And he was saying, you know what? I just think the Celtics are the better team. They have more talent and all this kind of stuff. And then my buddy, as we're watching it, he says, you know, if you actually do the matchup game, Cleveland has the name recognition. But if we're actually talking about talent, and the ability to play both sides of the court consistently, the Celtics are the better team when you go the matchup game, And other than LeBron. So it's just kind of crazy, and I'm getting a little bit excited now that we've got 2-0 for the Celtics, the idea that we're actually going to be able to see the Warriors versus the Celtics, because it's going to give us a kind of a baseline to look at things and say, this is the Celtics without their best two players, in in some regard, you know, from certain perspectives, although Al Horford's been freaking just out of this world amazing in the playoffs, um, I don't know, man. It's getting me pumped. You know, it's it's getting me excited about to see what exactly the Celtics could do and to see a finals without LeBron. I know it's amazing to watch LeBron do what he does every night, but I want to see something new. So. Yeah. Not that the Celtics are necessarily new, considering they've won about 84 championships, but they are new in terms of this, you know, what, what's been happening lately. We haven't seen them in there for you know, 10, 10 years, is it? No, a bit, bit less than 10 years in the finals. But yeah, to have something new happening and a new guard taking over, I'd be really pumped to see that. We'll check what happens in game two today. But again, this podcast is coming out after the result of that. So you'll know the result of game two and probably game three by the time this podcast is out coming out, uh, I think I'm going to put it out on Monday next week, and we're recording it here on uh, on Wednesday night for you, Kyle. Um, all right, that's it. That's a look behind the uh, the timing curtain of this show. Thank you, Kyle, for coming on again. Thanks, Josh. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone.
See ya. Kent Bazemore.